0: Welcome to Rebellion Dogs Radio, a contemporary look at addiction, recovery, and mental health. Now with less dogma and more bite. Episode 40 includes two musicians, one photographer-artist, and two addiction, mental health, and wellness professionals. We're talking about recovery from addiction and mental health. We'll hear some music. From Catherine McClellan, John McAndrew, we'll hear from Women for Sobriety, Adrian Miller is in the house. From Resolute Recovery, we have Dr. Laura Walsh talking about ADHD, adult child of an alcoholic photographer and artist, Branislav Jankic is on our show. It's the best show ever. (laughs) We're at Rendezvous with Madness in Toronto. We're at Shooting for the Stars in Houston. Since our last show on Recovery Capital from the conference in Toronto, I was in Houston for the annual NADAC conference, N-A-A-D-A-C. That's the Association for Addiction Professionals. They represent the interests of more than 100,000 Addiction counselors, educators, researchers, and other addiction-focused healthcare professionals in the States, Canada, and abroad. Every year, we NADACs meet somewhere. From October 5th to October 9th, 2018, it was Houston, Texas. If today's show intrigues you, check out www.nadac.org for info on the October 2019 iteration to be held in Orlando, Florida. My first Nadac was 2013. It was in Anaheim, one of the Disneyland, Disney World's, one of those things. The other one in North America is in Orlando, so we're back. M-I-C-K-Y. Anyway, I was at Nadac presenting my own research and findings and my own lived experience to treatment center program directors and counselors on uh, an evidence-based and widely used practice called 12-step facilitation. This was codified by a friend of Rebellion Dogs Radio, Dr. Joe Nowinski. He was a guest on one of our previous shows. I was talking to him about this project. I did a workshop called No God, No Problem, Accommodating a Growing Demand for a Secular View to 12-Step Facilitation. So I talked to him about that and I prepared a presentation for the people attending NADAC. We talked about demographic trends that influence treatment today, resources available for agnostic or atheist people entering recovery, Recent case studies of legal jeopardy around failing to accommodate a secular version or alternative to the classic 12-step model, plus uh, ethical and best practices that can help a treatment center, a professional, an institution when it comes to this growing demand for a secular approach. NADAC's own Code of Ethics has guidelines, including cultural humility and other-oriented care that do a great job at meeting this uh, contemporary and growing need for widening the gateway of recovery and offering individualized care. For our workshop, uh, participants were from the USA Canada and Iceland. In the house were private practice treatment professionals, people from a hospital setting, corrections and substance and behavioral disorder uh, professionals that had a particular specialty in either outpatient or inpatient care. In a future show I'm going to talk about this presentation. If there was nothing more urgent I'd talk about it today, I would. But I want to turn the show over to some other very interesting characters, some of which were part of the NADAC program. John McAndrew is a recovery music specialist from Cumberland Heights in Nashville, Tennessee. Adrian Miller is the CEO and president of Women for Sobriety. Letter to My Mother is a revealing and emotionally provocative visual and literary body of work created by artist and photographer, Branislav Jankic. It features mothers and their substance use disorders throughout the United States. This project strives to lift the stigma of addiction and create an international support system. I was sufficiently moved that I will be sharing my interview with Branislav with you today along with these others. Dr. Laura Walsh, presented on Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, commonly known as ADHD. Give me a few minutes and we'll get to all of these people. But first, at the time we're recording this show, I'm in the middle of Rendezvous with Madness, a film and art festival in its 26th year in Toronto. Opening night was the World Health Organization's Mental Health Awareness Day. The film, The Song and the Sorrow, looks at two generations of songwriters in one family, songwriters and depression from PEI Canada. Do you know who Gene McClellan is? Well, if you're a music fan with a leaning towards sort of 70s music, you know the music of Gene McClellan. Who's sang his songs? Elvis Presley, Bing Crosby, Joan Baez, Ann Murray, those are four of over a hundred artists who have performed Gene McClellan songs. They've won both Gene McClellan and these performers awards in Canada and the US. Snowbird, first recorded by Ann Murray, was a breakout song for her in 1970. Put your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. Love it or leave it, it's a huge gospel hit Uh, These were just a couple of songs that are Gene McClellan songs. People ask me to perform his music, daughter Catherine McClellan says in the documentary, but I've been processing his suicide and I didn't feel ready. That was in the making of this film. Neither addiction nor mental health bends away from success or creativity, nor the people who are lucky enough to have both. Depression and suicidal idealization are not just for the poor and uninspired. Imagine such a prolific songwriter thinking the world would be a better place without him. Imagine being the 14-year-old daughter first discovering her father the evening he committed suicide. Contemporary singer-songwriter Catherine McClellan's dad died in 1995. And while the full impact of Jean's suicide on Catherine, her siblings, and mother can't be measured, Catherine wanted to A, celebrate the music of Jean McClellan, and B, find some answers to some questions about her dad and maybe her own struggles with depression also. All this led to recording the If It's All Right With You, the songs of Jean McClellan, performed by Catherine McClellan. And This documentary we saw, The Song and the Sorrow. The Song and the Sorrow opened the 26th Rendezvous with Madness. I mentioned before that it's a film and art festival devoted to addiction and mental health. Workman Arts Bruised Years Choir performed there. Bell Canada's Let's Talk donated $15,000 to the choir. That was cool. All of the singers are people with addiction and mental health uh, lived experience. They opened the whole night with a couple of songs at the uh, Hot Dog Cinema on Bloor West in Midtown Toronto. The documentary played. The film producer and director Milifori Clarks and Catherine McClellan were on hand to talk about the film and field questions from the audience. Catherine played a few songs One of hers, a couple of her dad's. Then I had a chance to talk to Catherine McClellan for IndyCan Radio. We talk suicide, stigma and aftermath. I want to start the show with this conversation. Then we'll go back to Houston to introduce you to some of these other remarkable people. From the Ted Rogers Hot Doc Cinema, listen up.
1: Hi, this is Catherine McClellan. We're at Rendezvous with Madness in Toronto, and uh, we just were at the screening of the Song and the Sorrow. You're listening to IndyCan Radio.
0: Catherine, it's great to see you again. Last time I saw you, we were uh, uh, talking about church bell blues. What was that, 2007?
1: Uh, That was so long ago. That was (laughs) maybe my second record, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a while ago.
0: Yeah, it was, it was. But, uh, I mean, back then, would you say you got to hide out in plain view, hiding behind your songs, as opposed to now being so vulnerable? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it was a different thing. I was just trying to sort a lot of things out, and yeah. but music was my tool to do that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've, I've grown up a lot in the last <clears throat> 10, 11 years, and um, in that growing up, I've learned how to, to not just uh, be inside myself, but to be out in the world, and, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it's good. I,
0: I really got the impression that I've seen the film three times now too, and, and on this third time, I didn't notice your eyeballs being particularly big <laughs> as you were concerned. But but the, yeah, the first time you, you see anything with you in it, all you see is, you know, you don't see everything the director sees. Just Yeah, yeah I get that. <laughs> but uh, what really uh, hit me like a ton of bricks was you talking about treating this project as a way of getting closer to your dad and the truth. And feeling you were further away and, and I would think writing a record or writing a song you've got a destination in mind you know how to get there and maybe you brought that same approach to this and 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 it didn't work out that way.
1: Yeah it was interesting because it was like an uh, we definitely started it uh, as thinking it was an exploration of my relationship with my dad and his mental health and um, his suicide and it was a uh, somewhere through the the middle to the end of, of the filming process where I kind of realized that I had lost track of it all. Like, mm-hmm. not only I couldn't find him, but I felt like what I had had of him was slipping away from me.
0: Yeah. 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 I get the distinct impression you do not want to be the face of let's talk about uh, mental health, let's talk about how uh, suicide affects an entire family and this sort of pathology of that. You did not want to do that. But am I right in assuming you do this because someone's got to talk about it?
1: Yeah, and if I, if I don't talk about it, who's who's going to talk about it? And I, you know, I as a musician, I have a stage. I can get up there, and uh, nobody's going to think I'm crazy for talking about being depressed or whatever, or even talking about my dad's mental illness. And so, in that freedom, I, there's a bit of responsibility, and I feel that, and I, I think that it's important that if you feel able to talk about it, that you do talk about it. And we don't need to take up too much space, there's lots of other things going on in the world, Mm -hmm. but this is one thing that uh, I know deeply about and I have experienced and therefore can talk about and and hopefully open conversations with other people.
0: How long ago did this project start?
1: It was about three years ago, maybe a little no. longer. Yeah, it took about three years to, from beginning to end.
0: You know, it seems to me like a zeitgeist uh, in that, like, the Me Too movement wouldn't have happened without people self-revealing, being mm-hmm. vulnerable, putting their own first person story out there. And that's yeah. really what you're doing here, isn't it?
1: Well, I think it's all all part of the same thing where it's like we can't hide behind these walls anymore because there's so much there's so much darkness out there and if we don't you know speak to our own experiences we can't you know break through and let some light in and Mm -hmm. so that's I guess that's what I hope this film does—is just open up more dialogue.
0: It's just beautiful how it's not a nice, tight, Philip finish. No, it just sort of leaves <laughs> it out there, right, to be continued. To right? be
1: continued. The journey never ends. You know, the the path of grieving is not straight and it's it's yeah. not short.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you you really were quite articulate in that you can only make room for it. You can't get through it or go past it.
1: Yeah, you got to be in it. Yeah, and. Uh, and allowing space for that is uh, is a scary thing sometimes. But everybody, in, in some way or another, is going to have to do that in their life. I think.
0: And do you get to hang around for any more of the festival, or is touring or mothering uh, sending you uh, yeah, sad- on your way? Sadly, or I have to go
1: back to PEI. Not so sadly, I yeah. miss my daughter, and uh, also we have a, our first PEI yeah. screening happening this week. Oh, so wonderful. Yeah. So yeah. I'll go back for that
0: that's going to be uh, a real tear jerker for the whole oh, island. Oh, that's
1: so scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's what I never thought about when we started was about how vulnerable it would be. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to say it in the moment when you're feeling it, but then to watch it over and over again is pretty strange.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Pick a song for listeners. Uh, what are we going to play?
1: You know, wh- why not something from my last album, which was uh, a tribute to my dad, and a uh, song that I think really spoke to uh, his depression, and uh, just a... A way to look at it—it's called faces.
0: Faces, beautiful. Okay, thanks for being with us again.
1: Thank you.
2: Faces. I've seen faces. Game left to play. I got nothing to say because I ain't seen a friend all day. Raindrops, I've seen raindrops, and some of them fell from the sky. down, you can feel it and nothing can take it away See your skies turn let
0: dog's publishing show notes to see the trailer to the movie link to katherine mcclellan's tribute album to her dad as well as uh, her other music more from rendezvous with madness will be covered in our next episode i'm still digesting it and there's more coverage on our twitter and facebook pages So help yourself. Now, Houston, Texas, October 5th to 9th, 2018, the NADAC annual conference. Bearer of one of the world's coolest Twitter handles, at Recovery Psych, Dr. Laura Walsh talks to us about ADHD and addiction. What a lethal combination these co-occurring conditions can be. But hey, ADHD and recovery make for a never-boring ride, too. So what do you gain and what do you lose? Dr. Laura and I talk about the perils and the bright side of living with hyperactivity and or attention deficit. ADHD usually describes a collection of symptoms and life impairments. Dr. Laura L. Walsh tells Bustle magazine, It's slightly different for everyone and changes as a person grows from being a child with relatively few coping skills to adulthood. Inattention symptoms typically manifest as difficulty controlling focus, disorganization, forgetfulness, and chronic lateness. So that was from the magazine. Uh, Dr. Walsh has uh, described some of the uh, symptoms of what she calls. Potential high-functioning ADHD as follows. Difficulty finding the right words. This can come from the brain operating faster than the ability to speak the words. It can be heightened by the social anxiety that often accompanies ADHD. There's difficulty distinguishing right and left directions. This is a kind of right and left dyslexia that often occurs to people with ADHD. Constant fatigue at work. People with untreated ADHD often have difficulty focusing at work, which leads to exhaustion by the end of the day. Hyperfocus on things of interest. Hyperfocus is the flip side of lack of focus. ADHDers are able to focus intensely on things they're interested in. Excessive gambling. For someone with ADHD, gambling may be a way to raise the levels of dopamine, serotonin, and other neurotransmitters in the brain. This can lead to gambling addiction. And research has shown that ADHD population has a greater risk of these process addictions. Infidelity or boredom in relationships. For the same reason, someone with ADHD in a committed relationship may be tempted to cheat on their partner. Risky and impulsive sexual behavior can stimulate the production of dopamine. Because of this need for stimulation and novelty, ADHDers may also get bored with a regular sex partner and may lose interest in sex or even fall asleep during sex. So these are things uh, that Dr. Laura has written on ADHD. And this is high-functioning ADHD. For me and others, one big question is if hyperactivity and attention deficit is so much a disorder that has to be altered or fixed, or is it a characteristic or style that families and society can and should accommodate? As you'll hear, Dr. Walsh practices in North Chicago. She travels extensively. Here's a portion of a wonderful chat, and we've both agreed to share it with you.
3: Hi, I'm Dr. Laura Walsh with Resolute Recovery, and we're listening to Rebellion Dogs Radio.
0: So you were doing a workshop or a presentation on ADHD and substance use. In my experience, people who start drugs very early, high percentage of them are ADHD. Is that scientifically true or just anecdotal, you know, sort of folk wisdom?
3: Well, I would say you're probably talking about two, two circles that are overlapping, right? Mm-hmm. There's the group of people who use drugs and the group of people who have ADHD. Right. Um, but I think there's probably a lot of science that would suggest that you're right, that there's a lot of overlap.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you used a statistic that kind of shocked me, but kind of rings true. Was it 12,000 times, mm-hmm. you know, uh, kids are belittled? for just presenting with their natural symptoms?
3: Yeah, so the average 12-year-old hears about 12,000 negative messages by the time they hit 12 versus a kid without ADHD. Right. And that has a pretty devastating effect on a kid's self-esteem.
0: And then in uh, treatment, what's your feeling on, you know, medicating ADHD from a pharmaceutical point of view when someone's being treated With co-occurring disorders, ADHD and addiction, uh, should you deal with the addiction as a primary problem and then just see how the ADHD works out or treat them both right away?
3: I think you definitely have to arrest the addiction first, especially when somebody's in early recovery, just to, you know, sometimes you have to save their life. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it comes to medication in general, it's just the power in the tool and you medication doesn't teach you how to organize yourself it doesn't teach you how to plan it doesn't teach you any of those things so those things can be taught in recovery without medication
0: like mood disorders as well after you know three months of recovery or a year of recovery some of those things you know the brain kind of fixes itself Mm -hmm. Uh, with adhd it's just going to be a different approach to recovery
3: well, a lot, I think a lot of people with ADHD have found workarounds, um, whether it's just in life or it's in recovery. You know, So there's a lot of just coping on the fly that's already occurring.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, that's easy for you to say you have a PhD. I mean, that must take a lot of workarounds to just go through the educational process.
3: Well, sure. It could be somebody that has figured out, like, I feel better when I'm moving Uh, heavy equipment, you know, or I feel better when I go for a run every day, Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it takes a PhD.
0: To, to do that, right. No, no, but but I'm just saying that you must have had to, in order to get through the educational process. I would think a lot of uh, ADHD sufferers, uh, undiagnosed and untreated, spin off the educational whirly uh, twirl, yes. uh, you know, before they reach the finish line.
3: Well, I actually dropped out of high school twice mm-hmm. um, and ended up going to Community college super early, and took ten years to do my bachelor's degree. Wow! And then uh, because none of it was particularly interesting to me, mm-hmm. and then by the time I got to my doctorate degree, I was done in five years. I was yeah. also older. Yeah. But it was very interesting to me. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's it's all about you know what what can motivate somebody and keep somebody on the right track.
0: And just talk a little bit about your uh, practice in terms of the industry itself does it take adhd seriously or treat it as woo-woo or like you know sex or gambling addiction people treat the behavioral disorders Mm -hmm. as you know not real illnesses so so how is adhd treated by your peers and what do you do to sort of ambassadorship in terms of dealing with that
3: well, I think, you know, with, with the, the consulting company, with Resolute, there's a lot of people that will throw it on a diagnosis or a treatment plan, but, mm-hmm. but it's never really addressed. Mm-hmm. And it can undermine recovery efforts, and that's the part that, that really kind of concerns me. So I'm always trying to highlight, like, all of the issues a person has that they're struggling with so that we are trying to give them the best shot.
0: And uh, for people who go, wow, that sounds cool, what's the best way to get a hold of you?
3: Well, so I'm on Twitter. At um, Recovery Psych is my Twitter handle. Or You got that.
0: You got the best recovery handle ever. You must have been on Twitter early.
3: I was on Twitter early for sure. <laughs> but thank you. Um, and then there's Resoluterecovery.com. Um, you can send an email, hello, at Resoluterecovery.com.
0: And uh, you work in the Chicago area for anybody who likes a face to face communication?
3: Yep, but we also travel all over the country. We're, we're pretty connected that way.
0: Yeah, for instance, you're flying out of here, you can't, you don't have time to stay for the whole NADAC conference. Yep, right?
3: and I'm going to San Francisco next week, so. Okay, I'll fantastic.
0: Go. Okay, well, we'll have to stay in touch then.
3: Yes, yeah, pleasure. <laughs>
0: <sighs> Thanks, Dr. Laura. Stay in touch. Now, I mentioned a short film was viewed at the Saturday of NADAC It's called Letters to My Mother. There's a book and an art exhibit by the same name. The film was shot during the first photo exhibition in New York in June of 2016. Following its screening to those of us in Houston, artist Branislav Jankic, producer Goran Makura, Ben Levinson from the Levinson Foundation, and Sherry Layton, a pioneer who's worked in treatment since 1977, and along with other hats, she's worked on policy, advocacy, and leadership. These four, after the film, had a panel discussion and invited the audience to participate. Mothers photographed in the project were in attendance, and they shared also. This touching exhibition is a large part of why I set my sights on coming to Houston. I had the good fortune to chat one-on-one with Branislav. And, uh, well, let me share that with you right now. Here you go. Uh, My name is Branislav
4: Jankic. I'm the artist of Letter to My Mother, and we're listening to Rebellion Dogs Radio.
0: You know, I don't come to all of the NADAC events. I I really enjoy them when I do come, but there are a lot of demands on my time. But your art exhibit was one of the reasons why I had to come to Houston. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about how it went from... Uh, an idea, a personal experience, to a photo shoot, to collecting letters, to a book, to a movie. How did it transfer through all of these things? Well, thank you for your words. And, um, it means a lot. Uh,
4: so my mother was an um, alcohol addict um, before she passed away, and uh, we had a very, we had a lot of uh, catharsis in our relationship. I didn't deal well with it, and my brother didn't well, so my choice was to go far away from her, and not understanding that this is a disease. So what I, when she was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer in 2012, this is when I realized it's it's either making peace now or, or, or that's it. Yeah. And um, I just didn't know how to do that. That was just a very short time to, to bridge 10 years of, of, of um, of not having a good relationship with her, so I decided to do this project as sort of showing her that I understand that, that I forgive her and asking my forgiveness in that mm-hmm. way too. So I see America as my home, and um, I started to travel. I wanted to photograph a few women that um, that are like that have the problem like she did, like having problem with addiction, and um, so that's how the you know how it started, and um, started with uh, me writing the letter to her. Yeah, and taking her portrait first, and then asking those same those women who I photographed to do the same thing if they want to.
0: Yeah, and uh, then uh, your partner, he's a film guy, right? Yes. So he got the idea while well, while we're shooting these, we, we, maybe we we should film some of these interviews too, right?
4: Yes. Uh, um, well, you know, we, he documented everything like a diary, and mm-hmm. uh, he was we were it was a two-man show in eleven days. We crossed, um, I think, eight states. Yeah, <laughs> and so he documented this to photography and some video. And uh, later on, when we installed the exhibition in New York, um, we we filmed it, and so and then that turned into a short film.
0: Right. You're still in touch with uh, some of the subjects. Uh, some of them were here for the screening mm-hmm. as well, which really touched everybody. Right. And uh, and some of them you've lost touch with.
4: Yes, we, we tried right after uh, we, we, we did the project, right after we took the portraits, we tried to stay in touch with uh, everyone. Um, unfortunately, a um, few people, um, we just lost touch, which, um, you know, later we heard that uh, they just relapsed. And some people overdosed, which was very tragic uh, loss in, in some of the women I photographed there. That was a hard message to hear. Uh, but for for the most part, we stayed in touch and and you know kind of like became a family. So mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, it's it's always great when we when we show this piece somewhere in in, in the U.S. that uh, some of the women make it there and then yeah. they can be
0: in the panel and so it's it's so a special thing. Yeah, for people who couldn't be here and thought, oh damn, I missed it. Uh, where can they find your website online? What's the address?
4: The project has its own website, no. and it's uh, mother Dot us. And uh, there's uh, a lot about the project, uh, the synopsis, uh, some photographs, uh, the trailer of the film. And, um, you know, there will be also the new piece that we just did. And um, and if anyone writes me and wants to see the film, I'm happy to send the link with the password and and they can watch it. It's just 14 minutes, so I'm happy to do that.
0: Yeah. Now this uh, this short film uh, won an award. Yes, it did. Uh, it
4: win. It won the best short documentary in international film festival in Madrid last wow. year. Yes. Wow. Uh, so that yeah, that was a surprise. It was good. Yeah. It was a great. Um, I say, great feedback.
0: Are you still uh, looking to have it featured in more uh, festivals?
4: Yeah, I think, you know, we, we want to send it to a few more, and it would be great to show it to a few different places, different countries, you know, and, yeah. and see what it can do.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I said to you before we were rolling that art can reach people in a way that reason can't. You know, you can read about it, you can argue about it, uh, but sometimes a picture is what's going to make you cry.
4: <laughs> that's that's that. Those aren't exactly the words that
0: I, I hope so. I say it like that. I hope yeah.
4: that it can do. That's why we. That's why we're in here for. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. You did a great job with it, and, and I know it's a labor of love, right? You know, the whole family sacrifices. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations Thank on you very much. Uh, an epic uh, production. I, I think it was just wonderful. Thank Thanks you very much. Thanks a there. lot. You bet. Thank you. Again, I urge you to check out the show notes for either Dr. Laura or Letters to My Mother uh, or our next two guests, RebellionDogsPublishing.com. On deck, we have the Life of the NADAC party for 2018. It's singer-songwriter John McAndrew, who's a recovery music specialist at Cumberland Heights in Nashville, Tennessee. They offer in- and outpatient drug and alcohol treatment. John presented, he did some singing, he got the whole audience singing as well to demonstrate the relationship between music and wellness. That interview is coming up, so is a song of his. But first, we have with us the new CEO and President of Women for Sobriety, Adrian Miller. Meditation is very effective when one sits close to a window so that the outer world of nature can be observed. This provides a means for reflection, for it helps us to realize that there is a much larger and less complicated, more normal life out there. A life not riddled with arguments, fights about money, worries about mundane things. It's a world of order and harmony. There is a dependability for the moon rising and the sun setting." These are the words of psychologist, alcoholic, and founder of Women for Sobriety, Dr. Jean Kirkpatrick. That quote is on July 25th of Beyond Belief Agnostic Musings for 12-Step Life. Dr. Kirkpatrick saw that women's needs in recovery over addiction were different than men's. She started Women for Sobriety in the 70s. She wrote a program with 13 affirmations. Here's three of them. I have a life-threatening problem that once had me. I now take charge of my life and my disease. I accept the responsibility. Two, negative thoughts destroy only myself. My first conscious sober act must be to remove negativity from my life. Three, happiness is a habit I will develop. Happiness is created, not waited for. That's cool. So I'm delighted to finish with John McAndrew and Adrienne Miller of Women for Sobriety. Let's do that now, and we'll close out with some music from John from his 2006 album good enough but here we go houston we have an interview
5: my name is adrian miller from women for sobriety and you're listening to rebellion dogs radio
0: is this your first time at nadac
5: it is i'm very happy to be here
0: yeah so uh uh, um tell me what your expectations were and if they've been met
5: uh, the quality of presentations is higher than I thought it would be, yes. And um, I've been really excited by all the people who are familiar with Women for Spriety, and mm-hmm. we're happy to get more information about our meetings. So yeah, it yeah.
0: yeah, it's true. It, it is a, a well, it's not like just a 12-step mentality treatment world is it?
5: No it's not. People have been really open to hearing more about um, our method of recovery which has been around since 1975. Yeah. I have just been appointed the president CEO of the organization. Mm-hmm. We've been in a bit of a cocoon period mm-hmm. for the past few years um, and we are ready to emerge again. We're yeah. updating a lot of our literature to be more modern and to encompass a lot more addictions so really being more inclusive of the drug addictions right. um, in addition to just alcoholism.
0: What about processed addictions?
5: Right now we don't really focus on processed addictions, just we are yeah we're really focusing on on substance use disorders and and women uh, We do have a small offshoot that looks at some eating problems. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our founder did write something, Mm -hmm. but again, it was about 20 years ago that she wrote that. Um, So we're working on updating our uh, substance use disorder recovery literature first, and then we may be looking at updating that information later.
0: Yeah. Now, just in terms of the history, was uh, Women for Sobriety... Sort of a reaction to the sort of patriarchal nature of other 12 step rooms or
5: I think I think it definitely had some roots there. Um, the founder, Dr. Kirkpatrick, definitely felt like women had different needs in recovery, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did see you know some victimization of women in mixed gender groups. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, she was a sociologist by training. Yeah. Um, that's what her doctorate was in, and so she really focused on the fact that women are socialized differently. We have different societal expectations. And mm-hmm. So we have different needs in recovery. So that's really what our program focuses on, is those those socialization differences and those gender differences more so than, than staying away from men. That's, yeah. that's not really what it's about, yeah. even though it is yeah. women for sobriety.
0: Uh, I, I understood, <laughs> for sure. It's not like a, a man-hating organization. It's a re- recovery-seeking organization.
5: That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and... and
0: these things are quite regional. I know in some places that people who are serious about recovery and other peer-to-peer groups, the people who are serious, they, the men go to men's groups and the women go to women's groups, and there are a few sort of, you know, uh, uh, groups where everybody goes for anniversaries or whatever else, but, but they see that as, you know, let's be serious about our recovery, and, you know, it's easier to focus on you know, the business at hand, right?
5: Yeah, I think it it can be a lot easier. We also see um, women have higher rates of sexual trauma and Mm -hmm. um, violence perpetrated against them in addiction. So they just feel much safer really addressing some of those issues in gender-specific groups. And yeah, there are less distractions um, with needing to look good for the opposite gender. And that goes, I think, for men as well as women.
6: Absolutely,
0: absolutely. It's it's not that different, other than the power differentiate. Yeah,
5: I've worked in the recovery field for quite a few years, and, and I see... Men feeling more comfortable talking about their feelings mm-hmm. and being vulnerable in groups of just men. They're also having effects of the patriarchy and the, and yeah. the societal expectations of, of manhood and, and what that means. Yeah. How
0: many groups are there uh, you know in uh, the states? How many groups are there worldwide? Do you know those numbers on hand?
5: I don't know off the top of my head. I know we're right around 75 nationwide okay. right now, mm-hmm. uh, face-to-face meetings. Yeah. And then we also have our really strong online component. Yeah,
0: huge. Uh, a lot of people uh, really talk positively about the online community. Yeah,
5: yeah and so we have uh, one to two meetings a day on our online community. Yeah. And it's great for women with um, transportation barriers, small children at home, sure. or if they just don't have women-first variety meetings in their area, right. which is a lot of women.
0: Yeah,
6: <laughs> unfortunately.
0: Okay. And uh, where can people find uh, Women for Sobriety online?
5: So just go to womenforsobriety.org. It's got an interactive online meeting finder. Just put in your zip code. You can see if there's a meeting nearby. Um, there's also a facility... Finder on there. It's on the same Finder, but okay. so you, if you're seeking treatment that will honor your path in Women for Sobriety, mm-hmm. um, there are facilities that that say they use Women for Sobriety, oh, yeah,
6: and great. so we connect yeah. people
5: that way. Huh? Uh, we don't review them or endorse them, uh, but we do try to help women connect with treatment programs that are consistent with their beliefs. Right. And then we also have um, phone support volunteers nationwide mm-hmm. who have volunteered to help women get established, in their recovery um, via phone support.
0: Okay, that's wonderful, yeah. It's been a great NADAC conference so far, a little bit left to go, and uh, it was great bumping in you.
5: Yeah, great, thank you. You bet. <laughs> this
7: is John McAndrew from Cumberland Heights in Nashville, Tennessee. We're listening to Rebellion Dogs Radio.
0: It was a uh, great catching up with you in uh, Nadak. Y- you may be aware there's another musical, John McAndrew, in the recovery community. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and I met him at uh, Nadak in uh, where was it? It was in Anaheim. Okay. Yeah, and uh, did some work with him. You might know he uh, worked as a uh, spiritual. The At director Ford of spiritual Center. care. Yep. Ford. We yeah, we have
7: met and spoken. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. exactly. really you awesome. Have so
0: much in common. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, bad habits and good. That's right. Uh, so, uh, so, hi, John. It's so, a little shout-out. I feel like I'm cheating on a John. <laughs> That's okay. he will <You'll> understand. <laughs> he will. He definitely will. Um, music and recovery, you uh, bring them both together. You must have intuitively known there was a connection. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of, of the work you do?
7: Yeah, well, you know, and I'll, I'll talk about it in terms of my old life before I came mm-hmm. to the new life, you know, mm-hmm. in recovery. And I played a lot of music, And played in bars and clubs. And there was a point where when my disease got worse and worse, I kind of looked out in the audience and realized there's really nothing going on Mm -hmm. musically anymore. You know, after 9.30, Mm -hmm. if you're in a tavern or a club. In the new life, I still played in those environments. And it just took a year or two for me to want something just a little deeper and a deeper connection and I quit playing in bands and started to play solo Mm -hmm. and then writing my own music and then sharing my my own story through the music and I think everybody knows this is a it's a spiritual journey and spiritual just means thinking different Mm -hmm. you know doing things differently and uh, you know the music and recovery for me when when those two things met I'll tell you, to be honest, I was really given a purpose for my music that, right. that felt very deep, very important. I still play a bunch of blues and yeah. do all that stuff, but mostly I'm asked to play about these experiences in recovery.
0: And you're in Nashville. Do you do co-writes with other writers? And-
7: very little, and I'm a little selfish. I'm doing a new album now, uh, and I may have a fellow in Nashville do a co-write on one song mm-hmm. possibly with me. I like to share my music with people mm-hmm. and, we can, and and they'll nudge me a little bit, yeah so these guys that are experienced, but um, I don't do that a lot, and mm-hmm. I may in the future, once mm-hmm. I get enough of this out of my system, yeah you know.
0: The music community in Toronto is very familiar with Nashville. It's like a suburb of Toronto, or you might consider Toronto an incubator for uh, emerging uh, songwriters Uh because they come down there and really hone their craft. Yeah,
7: and I've known a few. And Toronto is beautiful. Canada is beautiful. There's a different perspective on the arts. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, Nashville has all these really, really creative people, Mm -hmm. but there's a very small little pie of the economic reward in there, but all these great people still chug along and hang, you know. And uh, here's the song I wrote for so-and-so that's a cut, but here's my stuff.
0: Uh, Here's a question for you. Uh, I'm uh, thrilled. Uh, You know, a lot of the things we knew sort of anecdotally as well, this helps people recover. The academics look down their nose at us, and you know, go, well, that's not very scientific. And then they studied it, and they go, oh, yeah, people who get engaged in peer-to-peer recovery have a better chance at uh, getting better. It, even things that I snub my nose at, equine therapy, petting horses, $30,000 a month for that, but there's evidence that that actually works. Ha- has anyone actually ever taken music as a part of therapy and evaluated it
7: well and part of what i was here for was to do music in the brain and i do Mm -hmm. um i include uh, a picture of homer simpson's brain to show that i'm not a doctor i'm not a scientist but i have a whole lot of research in my Mm -hmm. presentation and they've been doing it for years for example chills that are created by certain types of music Mm -hmm. increase the blood flow in all parts of the brain yeah um Spirituality, meditation, Mm -hmm. music, Mm -hmm. all increase the frontal cortex a lot, uh, blood flow, and emotions begin to come out. And, you know, serotonin, I made a joke about it on my presentation Saturday. Mm -hmm. You have to get out the serotonin mop Mm -hmm. when you get people in treatment or uh, in a recovery setting from whatever that might be. And they're playing music and having fun and being creative. And tears come and serotonin is produced. So there's the chills. They know now that that music affects all parts of the brain. It Mm -hmm. doesn't just attack, attack. (laughs) uh, You know, there isn't a specific part of the brain where it just, the whole brain is responding. And we know that music can help people get up and walk, you know. Mm -hmm. In a non-recovery sense, I remember years ago when I knew there was something going on. I played at an old folks' home, and mm-hmm. lots of musicians have had the honor to do that. Yeah, that's right. And you got to play all of me and stuff. And I remember playing all of me, and I'm in an old folks' home because I was playing for the uh, Handy Fest, a jazz festival, mm-hmm. and they asked if I'd go out and play. Mm-hmm. And they wheeled in a woman, very quiet, very stoic. You know, her affect was that fancy word, but she just looked really tired and sad. Yeah. And I started playing some old... I think it was all of me, but I do mm-hmm. things kinda jazzy. She got up out of her wheelchair and started dancing. And I mean dancing to the point where they were wondering if she's gonna fall down. Wow. She hadn't spoken or done anything for I assume at least a year or two in that old folk song. Mm-hmm. So that song touched something in her that was still there. Yeah. So in recovery, the tone we use and the lyrics we use, we touch some things in people, I think, a lot of great music in the recovery field. You know, which is with you as well, so it is all about the science, you know, and so the presentation we did here, it was fun to see it instead of explaining the science, you know. In terms of the transition from
0: drinking, drug-using maybe uh, John, to the sober one, did you think part of the muse was in the sex, the drugs, and the rock and roll? Did, Did you wonder about how you could perform sober, how you could write sober?
7: Well, we have a, at Cumberland Heights, a music professionals program, and we talk, talk about that all the time. In the beginning, it was about music, but then it just became about getting drunk and all the other stuff. And then as we know, the, the, the progressive illness, it gets to where it's not about the music at all. Mm -hmm. And getting sober and taking piano lessons and mm-hmm. singing better and applying myself mm-hmm. because then I realized, you know, I'm not all the big thing I thought I was. Mm-hmm. You know. So that's, that's the excitement for me. I'm 64 years old. And mm-hmm. I'm writing and doing another album and mm-hmm. I just keep being able to go. So when the professional musicians come to Cumberland Lights we talk about, will I ever be creative and how can yeah. I... And we just go... You know, if you think about it, the creative part just went under the bridge a long time ago because yeah. this is work, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. You have to work at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, the addiction, uh, uh, you know, won't allow another mistress. <laughs> yeah, and it sucks. And you know yeah. what? If you're a policeman or a, a pilot or a yeah. mom or a dad, yeah. it sucks the Same life out of everything yeah. we do. Yeah. But the environment that musicians work in, mm-hmm. I mean, it's obviously different than working as a doctor, yeah. in a hospital drinking on your job tr- isn't
0: yeah. a, it's, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> as much of an eye popper <laughs> yeah so it's a great it's yeah. a wonderful change mm-hmm. to be able to do it yeah and uh, so if people want to get a hold of you where do they find you
7: well there's johnmcandrew.com you know website but I also there's a, a new website we put up where I tell stories and mm-hmm. then play the song and there's a little video that goes with it and it's all free and downloadable and it's called inthishour.org you know www.inthishour.org www. and you can go there and appreciate people kind of see what they think about the stuff on there and we've just got it up and running so thanks for sharing your time and your music with thank us thank you really we appreciate it, it. yeah
8: What I need, how could you let them treat me that way? And where were you when I needed you? When black clouds come over me, they darken my skies, and it's how I look at things.
6: To fill their bodies with poison things Just to feel
8: good Just to feel good And why must everything I learned be so hard Can't you see I'm giving up? I don't know They darken my skies If it's how I look at things They give me new eyes.
0: contributors on episode 40 of Rebellion Dogs Radio visit rebelliondogspublishing.com